Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. I got a few things to talk about this week, so I'm just going to get right to it and start with the news. First up, I created a post about my panel with Lon from Lon.tv regarding FPGAs and the introduction to how to use them for gaming. Uh, And I didn't create the post just to shamelessly self-promote. I created it because I really think this is a pretty good introduction for people that are looking for a basic overview. Um, I think Smoke Monster's videos are great as well. I think Smoke Monster goes a little bit past beginner. I mean this respectfully, obviously. So, you know, maybe this would be a good way for some people to start out maybe going directly to smokes videos is a better way as always i like choices so i just wanted to put this out there for people because while most people listening to this might already understand what fpgas are a lot of the people that showed up to the panel didn't they just heard the term and wanted to learn more which was really exciting by the way i I love when people just have that you know have that desire to learn and i really think that lon and i did a decent enough job doing that so um you know please uh, anybody, uh, if you want to introduce anybody to FPGAs, check out this as well as Smoke's videos. And also, I did make a giant bonehead mistake. You know, these things were live. I love doing live panels, but they're not scripted. Uh, and at one point, I said that the SNES special chip cores were ported over from the SD to SNES. But that was wrong. I, I must have gotten projects confused or something like that because the developer SRG320 wrote all of the special chip support for the Mister all by themselves. So that that was a pretty giant mistake, uh, and I felt like a complete moron saying that because you know retro RGB has always been about celebrating people in the retro gaming community and really you know blowing up everybody's work you know not uh, not getting things wrong and not just talking about it as if the developers don't exist which is another thing that annoyed me when i would read other articles they'd talk about products and stuff but not the teams behind it so mistakes like this bother me twice as bad it's also kind of funny because every time i've made mistakes like this in the past whenever i reached out to the developers to apologize every single time they were like yeah i don't care (laughs) so i think i feel worse about it than other people do but it still was worth mentioning because because I just, you know, that's retro RGB is about getting that stuff right. So I'll try my best in the future. There's always going to be mistakes. In every video I do, there's mistakes. In every live appearance, there's a million. But everything is a little bit different live. So coming to these panels and, and having that direct interaction is really just a totally different way of experiencing this stuff. You know, live streams and comments are great too, and I, I really enjoy doing that. But the the live stuff is always just my favorite. So my apologies to any of the developers. A huge thank you to my friends who pointed out my bonehead mistake politely and uh, and got it in time so that I could post an apology on the video before internet conspiracy theories started. You know, I, there's always occasionally that, you know, what's Bob's agenda in purposely getting this wrong? You know, it's it's obviously never like that. It's just, you know, everybody makes mistakes and I make 
more than most. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, shout out to Lon. Really uh, was honored to be part of that panel with him. And I genuinely think we did a great job with this. So uh, check out my video with Lon and Smoke Monsters videos as well. And hopefully this gives everybody the answers they need for getting started with FPGAs. Next up, Matt from Video Game Perfection is now selling SCART to JP21 and JP21 to SCART adapters. And when I saw the post, I realized I'm not sure if I have clear info on the site about what those are. And even people getting into gaming now with full SCART setups might not quite realize what that is. So I'll give the short, short version as to not bore the experts. Um, but both SCART and JP21 are, I believe, the only standards in the world that allow you to get RGB, at least from classic consoles. Surely they're the only ways that you are able to order cables and just get direct RGB, which is why we're stuck using them. JP21 looks identical to SCART, except it's a different pinout. So you can't plug one into the other, uh, and it's not good. I don't know that if the... Um, I think the the direct voltage signal is on the same pin, so I don't think you would do something like blow out a switch, but it's it's not good because the colors are on different pins. Not everything lines up. Like, don't ever plug a SCART into JP21 or vice versa. But luckily, there's a few different ways to get converters. Uh, video game perfection, retro gaming cables, and retro access all has their own converters. And even things like um, if you have a, a switch of SCART and you want to go into JP21, they have SCART cables that, you know, with one end is JP21. I mean, there's really a solution for every scenario available. So I just figured I'd put the post there in case anybody doesn't didn't realize there were different standards, as well as people that might not realize how many good solutions there are if you need to convert one or the other. And it's also my opinion these days that um, unless you already have a completed JP21 setup, it might be overall more cost-effective uh, and possibly even a quality upgrade to just get new cables, which I know that's upsetting to a lot of people, but I, I have a bunch of friends that started out with this getting JP21 cables from Japan for use with their consoles, and they had, let's say, two or three of them, and they were great. But now they want to switch to an all SCART setup because everything else out there is SCART. So getting these adapters, it might actually just be easier and cheaper overall to get direct new cables. So just my opinion. Um, if you're a JP21 user, you know who you are and you know what setup is good for you. So just wanted to throw my two cents in there. But yeah, tons of options for everybody and hopefully a somewhat decent explanation as to SCART versus JP21. Linus Tech Tips recently did a video on the Virtual Boy and borrowed some of my equipment in order to do this video, so I wanted to post about it for a couple of reasons. First, they did a great job. Um, they approached it with an open mind. You know, so many people hear Virtual Boy and think it's the cool thing to do, to shit all over it. I don't really know, but I think they... Uh, they didn't do that. You know, they, they walked into it. They gave their honest impressions. They had their opinions, which everybody's entitled to. But not once did I get the feeling that they were out to get it to be funny. They were just honest about certain things. So that's always great. And the other reason I wanted to post about it is because I just wanted to make sure to highlight everything that was used in that. Once again, because I, I always like to highlight the developers behind it. So that's uh, my Virtual Boy had two virtual taps in it. That's the kit from Furtech, and one of them's RGB and one of them's VGA. So that was a dual outputting Virtual Boy. It was connected to each other via a link cable provided by Kevin Mellett. 
uh, and it was using Two Flash Boys by Richard Hutchinson. So I just wanted to make sure to highlight all of the awesome people behind the scenes that worked on this stuff. And, you know, shout out to Linus Tech Tips for actually doing a good video on Virtual Boy. Who would have thought mainstream channels were allowed to do that? I just posted an interview with my friend Beast, but it's more of a conversation with two friends hanging out type of interview. And I really thought that it would be something that other people would enjoy because I met Beast a while back and I started hanging out with him because he's a fun person to hang out with. But as I got to know him, he's, I realized he's just a wealth of knowledge of random arcade stuff and Japanese gaming and all the cool stuff that we talked about in the interview. So I wanted to share that with everybody else. And I'm definitely going to be doing a lot more interviews like these. Very laid back, just people talking type of stuff. Because there's so many awesome people I've met in the retro gaming world that I think would have a lot of entertaining things to offer in an interview. Even though they might not necessarily create products or anything, I, I still feel like it would be fun to to talk with them and and kind of share those people uh, the people that I've gotten to know with all of you so uh, you know if anybody has any giant objection to long-form interviews on this channel I'll gladly start a second channel for it I really just want to give everybody what they're looking for and you're not going to please everybody there's always going to be one or two people that hate everything I do so <laughs> whatever but if anybody has any strong thoughts on that feel free to, to post and let me know but I had a great time with the interview thanks again for Beast for coming over and you know, and for helping out at the, uh, the expos and all that stuff, big shout out and thank you. And hopefully we'll get to see a lot more stuff like this soon. I'll be pretty busy the next month, but after that, I really want to start catching up on interviews as well as in-person interviews too, because while a little bit more can go wrong in person, you know, I don't have a, a, a person in a booth listening in, making sure everything goes okay, which is why my audio went out in this one. Sorry. Uh, but you know, it's, the whole dynamics differently when you're just sitting down hanging out with somebody. So hopefully I get to do a lot more of these coming up within the next few months and hopefully you'll all enjoy them. SNES hacker Vitor Vilela has just added Contra 3 to the list of games he's patched with SA1 support. So for people unaware, SA1 is a chip that was found inside certain Super Nintendo games that offloaded a lot of the processing power from the CPU onto this chip. So you could essentially, with enough time and patience, hack most Super Nintendo games to offload their power onto this as well, making things like slowdown significantly removed, if not completely gone, and uh, adding different features and stuff. So um, I haven't had a chance to, uh, to play this personally, but I watched the video on it, and it looked really awesome. So thanks so much to Vitor for making these. Um, he's got a GitHub out there with all of the information he has uh, in order for people to try this themselves. And this is just really awesome. Um, I, I hope that more, more SNES hackers dig into this and try to find different ways to add cool stuff to games and things like that. Even just uh, reducing slowdown is probably a help in certain games. So please check out the post. It also has a link to his previous work on Gradius, as well as Voltar's video confirming that it works on real hardware. So awesome work from, from everybody involved this time. I know I'd mentioned it before, but it is 100% official now. I will be presenting a panel at Portland Retro Gaming Expo Saturday, October 19th at 6.30 p.m. in Auditorium B. So I am absolutely thrilled to be part of this. I have so many friends out on the West Coast that I've been talking to for years that I call friends that I've never met in person before. So I finally get to meet a big chunk of those people there. Um, I'm 
I will be there all three days. Um, I'll probably be the most accessible Saturday and Sunday. Uh, I still will be walking around on Friday, but I'm not sure what time I'm going to be getting in and all that stuff. But I, I really hope to meet as many people as I possibly can there. These expos are always so great. And really, if you're into retro gaming at all, try to go to at least one expo in your life. I guarantee if you go to a decent one, you'll probably want to go back at least once a year and experience it again because it's just a ton of fun. So... Uh, if you see me there, please stop and say hello. Um, I will be doing that panel, and if you're around for that, please stop by, because this is the last time I'll be doing this panel until I uh, turn it into a video. And in fact, some of the footage that's going to be in this video is going to be part of the panel, because I just decided it was too much lugging all that equipment around and trying to coordinate things. I figured I'd do the same panel, but with like a projector and pre-recorded footage, just like you'll see in the upcoming video, as opposed to bringing a bunch of stuff with me, which I think Auditorium B is fairly big at Portland Retro Gaming Expo. So having a couple of small CRTs on stage to do the demo probably wouldn't be good for anybody except the first five rows. <laughs> So uh, hopefully this all works out, but uh, so far I've gotten some great feedback. And uh, honestly, it's it's people in the crowd interacting that's made this panel get better every time. And hopefully will lead to a, an even cooler video at some point. So definitely by the end of this year, that'll be done. But yeah, I think this is the perfect place to close out this panel before making it into a video. And I just in case you couldn't tell, I'm super freaking excited. So uh, hope to see everybody that's uh, in the app. PRGE. Hope to meet everybody, and uh, I'm sure I'll be attending a, uh, attending a bunch of other people's panels as well. So, see you all there. Crix just posted pictures of his development setup, showing how he's working on the successor to his Genesis EverDrive. And in this post, he said that he was able to get data transferred between the cartridge and the Sega CD. So this means a few things that are pretty exciting. But first and foremost, I do want to remind everybody that this is still very much in development form. So please don't misunderstand and think you're going to get a new EverDrive next month. Um, but this means that he could possibly get Sega CD ISO support working. Uh, but it would require original Sega CD hardware, which I think is great because some people wanted very specifically this setup. They wanted to be able to utilize their old Sega CD, some with working CD-ROMs, some without. Um, you know, They wanted to know that they were using it all on original hardware for whatever reasons, good or bad, that's people's choices. So um, if Crix is able to get this working, it looks like a great alternative for people who felt for whatever reason that the Mega SD wasn't for them. And I'm a giant fan of choices obviously um and of course this doesn't take away from anything the mega sd has done and uh you know I, I certainly look down upon any any tweets that imply that it does you know two awesome developer development teams each coming out with their own cool products and i don't quite feel like they step on each other because they're for really different scenarios um and of course uh, the price is something that was pretty interesting because crix mentioned that he thinks he could do this for under two hundred dollars now, this is probably largely in part to the fact that he doesn't need to FPGA recreate all of the Sega CD hardware like Terra Onion did, um, but it's still pretty cool because, once again, if you don't have any Sega CD hardware and you want to experience this stuff on an original Genesis console, the Mega SD is perfect. But if you already have a Sega CD, especially one that's working, and you already have all this stuff and you just want to occasionally play an ISO, this might be a better choice especially at the price. So time will tell if Crix is able to finish the project. He's obviously got a great history of putting out some pretty incredible stuff. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things where uh, 
development for these products is always harder than people think. So I'm going to very patiently just wait and see what happens. Uh, and if he's able to pull this off, I'm definitely picking one up because I'm really interested to see how it performs. So big shout out to Crix for, for sticking with this and getting us more options for Sega CD right after a time where we had nothing. So it's a very exciting time to be a Sega fan. The game Pinball Dreams is now available to download for the Amstrad CPC computers. And I guess the development team behind it had uh, licensing issues. So rather than try to sell it, they just released it for free for everybody, which is awesome for any Amstrad users. Uh, and it looks like an awesome pinball game and certainly gets the thumbs up of Vanessa, who wrote the article. So if, uh, if you're interested in any of this stuff, I mean, no reason not to download and check out an awesome free pinball game. There's a new ROM card available for Dragon 32 and 64 computers, as well as the Tandy Color Computer 1 and 2, uh, and even the Draco 64 line of computers. And this thing seems to be much more than a ROM cart to me, because not only can you play the cartridge-based games, it's got a pretty a bunch of pretty cool features, like when you plug it in, it'll auto-detect which computer you're using and load the correct files based on that, uh, so you don't have to like flip a dip switch or anything when switching between the computers. But it also seems that not only will it play cartridge ROMs, it has the ability to stream tapes from real cassettes and emulator files. So that way you could do things like back up your cassettes for the, you know, the color computer too and play them through this. Uh, anybody under 30 is probably thinking I made a mistake, but no, cassettes. That's right, audio cassettes. I used to have a little audio cassette player that, you know, doubled as a mono audio player that also would go into my color computer too to play programs and stuff. It's a pretty innovative and ridiculous time of computing, <laughs> to be honest, but... It's pretty neat that this handles all of that. Uh, and one of the things, one of my like low importance pet projects I've been wanting to do is restore uh, a color computer too that I picked up cheap off of eBay. Because that's something that I had when I was a little kid and it's what, you know, I wrote my first program on. And I just, there's a bunch of pictures of me as a kid with it. And I just think it's pretty funny because, you know, I started out so young typing on that thing. Now here I am still full nerding out on everything. So I'm definitely going to look into picking one of these up and maybe include that in the video. Video Game Perfection hasn't been stocked now for anybody interested. So uh, just check out the links and pick one up. Greg Collins just posted more 3D printed designs for his G-Switch bumper cases. And these are the 3D printed plastic cases that go around a G-SCART or G-COMP switch, um, making it feel like, to be honest, it really makes it look and feel like a brand new enclosure. Um, I really liked the plexi look of the G-SCARTs, but having this wrap around it is pretty awesome. Um, also, there's two types of the design. There's the one full design, and then there's a design where it's split in half. So for people with smaller sized 3D printers, you just print each half and then put them together in the middle. Uh, and these designs are available for free to download for anybody with their own 3D printer and also available to purchase directly from Greg on laserbear.net. So if you don't own a 3D printer, please support the developer that makes and gives away all of this stuff for free. Um, I certainly did. In fact, I just racked up a big bill on his store buying pretty much everything I didn't buy or that wasn't available the last time I was up on LaserBear. So, um, you know, definitely peruse his store because he's got a bunch of really cool stuff on there. And if you own a G-SCART switch, unless you already have it in a setup exactly the way you want it, consider buying one of these because it's just so cool looking. 
Um, and it's not that expensive. I believe they're like 20 bucks each or something like that for the, for the bumpers. So yeah, sure. You get the dust protection, you get the bumper protection on the side, but I just love the way it makes it look. So, uh, if you're interested, check out the link. And once again, it's laserbear.net to buy them directly from Greg. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, participating in the comments. And uh, I really hope to meet as many of you as possible at Portland Retro Gaming Expo. In case you didn't tell from my rant before, I'm super excited about all that. So uh, thanks again, and I'll see everybody next week.